Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. Vintage Faith, good morning. It's so nice to be meeting regularly again, and I think this morning we're at full capacity, it looks like. We are reading today from the Bible, the book of Philippians. It is chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. All right, let's, uh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that we have this great privilege to gather together as, as your church. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died to redeem your church. You died to redeem each one of us. We pray that you'll help us understand this passage, that you'll grab a hold of our hearts and help us not only just know the truth, but live it out. Lord, thank you that your grace is sufficient for us, that we, even though we're broken people, sinful people, that you work through us, work in us to help us to be more like Christ. And we pray they open our eyes to your word in your name. Amen. Yes, technology, you've got to love it. We're still alive. I'm sure you are. (laughs) That's good, you're not asleep. That's good. Okay, so this week we're going to be focusing in on chapter 2, verses 12 to 18 of Philippians. And the topic is work out your salvation. I remember as a new believer thinking, wow, I read this passage and I'm like, is God telling me I have to work for my salvation? When you look at this, it's not saying that at all. It's saying work out your salvation. When you come to faith in Christ, salvation's a gift. God gives it to you because of your faith. He did the work. And now he's basically saying, okay, based on who you are in Christ, live that out. Live it out. Verse there, verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That that word, that phrase, work out, is the command in that passage, and that's the key command. God is commanding us to work out, to live out our salvation. For it is God who works in you, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. As most of you know, we're getting ready to move, retire and then move. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, I thought some of you were sad, but I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> Who said that? No. Sound like a little child, but you never know. And we've been in our present house for about 21 years. When we, when we acquired this house, we didn't go, okay, we've got this house. It's new to us. Let's just leave it the way it is. Literally over the last 21 years, my wife and I, and sometimes our kids, have worked to renovate the house. New roof, new windows, new doors inside and out, new flooring, etc. We didn't leave it the way it was. God gave you salvation and he doesn't want you to leave it like that. He wants you to work it out and we're going to talk about that. There's some questions that we want to deal with. The first question is, why work out your salvation? Why do this? Second question, how do we work out our salvation? And third, what are the benefits? So let's look at this first one. Why work out your salvation? He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Here's the Philippian church. Of course, Paul started this church. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 16. What were the circumstances that Paul started this church? Was it an easy road? What happened to him? Anybody know? Anybody remember? Because we've done this for the last few weeks. See if you were paying attention. What were some of the circumstances that he was facing when they started that church at Philippi? Was it easy? Was he under persecution? Yes. Remember, they delivered the slave girl from demon possession. And then those who were making money off of her fortune telling actually turned on them. There was a riot. They were beaten. They were thrown in jail. And while they were in jail, the, the, the Philippian jailer comes to faith. So that church was formed under duress. And now Paul is saying to them, dear friends, he's in prison while he's writing to them. As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. And so Paul is saying, look, it, I'm, no, I'm not with you, but are you obeying God just because I'm with you? No, he's saying obey even when you're not, when the pastor's not here. What should be our motivation? You think about the motivation of living out our, our faith. Is God your audience or are you a people pleaser? Just think about this for a minute. When you, when you do something spiritually, when you read your Bible, when you pray, when you attend church, when you serve, when you help somebody, why are you doing it? I have to constantly ask myself, wait, why am I doing this? In Hebrews 4, verse 13, it says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We, every single person, believers and unbelievers, are going to have to give an account to God for our lives. And so the motivation should be, I want to please God. I want to do what he wants. You know how hard it is to constantly please people? You do something and they, they go, oh, oh, you know, that you could have done better. It's like the carrots just keeps going farther away and they're saying, okay, try this, try that. And God's like, I wanted you to do this. You did it. Well done. In Colossians, it says this, and remember one quarter of the Roman world were slaves. It's a very interesting study. You don't find in the New Testament, God saying revolt, have a rebellion, overthrow the Roman empire. No, he actually tells slaves to obey their masters 
And he tells masters to treat them well because in time, as more people become believers, they'll turn away from slavery. When people truly grasp the Christian message, then they realize it was wrong. He says, slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now think about this. You're going, okay, how does this apply to my life? If you have a job and you work for somebody and you only put in that extra effort when the boss is watching or the manager is watching or your supervisor's watching, then you really need to take this to heart and go, wait a minute, I need to do my very best when no one's watching because God is watching. He tells it right there. You know that it's Christ who's gonna pay, pay attention and he's gonna reward you for the work that you've done. Proverbs says this, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I have found this to be so true. When I've tried to do to please somebody and they go, eh, that wasn't good enough. You need to do this. It's a snare. So who do you serve? Well, or I should say, why do you serve? Why do you give? Why do you attend church? Just ask yourself that question. You go, well, I'm not really serving. Well, nobody is really too much right now. Church is kind of shut down. But there are other ways you can serve the body of Christ. You can go, you know what? I want to do this. Not to impress people. Not to earn your salvation because it's a free gift. Not to say, well, I want to keep my salvation. It is totally secure in God. And so that's how we live out our salvation. By serving, by giving, by attending, gathering together as you feel comfortable doing that. To honor Christ, not to impress other people. Why work out your salvation? He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The word fear there is phobos. He's not referring to modern phobias that people have. He's not referring to the fact that you should be afraid of God. That's not the concept. In fact, the word really is the idea of reverence. When you think about God, he wants us to have a reverence for him. In Hebrews, it says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. He's not the big guy in the sky. He's not daddy who's up there, you know, oh, I better do what he says. Or he's, you know, or he's not the genie in the sky, you rub the lamp, get what you want. He is the awesome, infinite, eternal God. I think it was Evan last week talked about the universe, talked about the stars, the distance they were from us and how immense the universe is. The crazy part is the universe is finite. The universe is not eternal. It was created by God. God is infinite. God is eternal. When you start meditating on that, that should cause us to go, wow. And yet, he is also very interested in your life. He's transcendent, as the theologians say. In other words, he is involved in this world. 
He, as we looked at last week, the Kenosis passage where he left heaven, took on human flesh, didn't stop being God, but acted and lived out as a man so he could connect with us and save us from our sins. That should cause us to go, wow, God's so amazing. Luke 8, I love this passage. You may remember the story of this woman who who had bleeding for like 12 years. She tried all sorts of doctors and nobody could help her. And so Jesus is in this crowd and she sneaks up behind him and grabs the fringe of his garment. And actually she, I believe, she understood Malachi where it said that the Messiah would have healing in his wings, which was a reference to his garment because in those days they had tassels. And it said that the Messiah would have healing in his tassels and she believed it. She grabbed his garment and she was instantly healed. The crazy part is, And this shows us that Jesus operated in his humanity. He's God. He never stopped being God. But sometimes there were times when Jesus was surprised. There were times while he was on earth, he was like, wait, who touched me? This is no game. He was actually asking. And Peter's like, Lord, uh, the whole crowd is crushing you. What are you talking about? He said, someone touched me. My power has gone out from me. I need to know who it is. And the woman comes back to him. She just I think she just wanted to slip away. But Jesus wanted to bring attention to her so that everybody could know where she was healed from, from him, from God. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling. That's the same word that's used in Philippians. It means to shake. She was overwhelmed by the very presence of God. Fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. If your reverence, how how can you, how can I, how can we work on our reverence for God? Think of your view of God. If your view of God is not right, if you are afraid of God in a a wrong way, you got to change that. God loves you. Or if you treat God in a flippant way, you have to change that. You go, wow, God, you deserve my very best because of who you are. That's showing reverence. Why work out your salvation? Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That word works is the word we get in our English. The Greek word is the word we get for energy. Now, some of you, if you're from central New York, you can remember some of the blackouts that we've had. I mean, there was, I don't know when it was, but it was, it was the time we lost power because the Northeast, there was a, a problem with the grid and like for three or four days we had an issue. Then there was an ice storm and then there's all these different things. And when your house and from time to time, our house in Cicero, you'll have a blackout and all the houses in the neighborhood are out and you can't use anything in your home. Can't use the refrigerator, unless you have a generator, a backup generator. You can't use those things, the refrigerator, the microwave, the TV. And if it's on, if it's out for too long, you can't even charge your phone. You can't use a computer. This word, it says, for it is God who energizes. His energy is at work in you. He wants to give you the power to will and to act 
in order to fulfill his good purpose. What God is doing in your life and in my life has a good purpose. Actually, that, that phrase is his good pleasure. He loves you. And you look at books like you look at Bible books like Job and you go, God was behind that. He was allowing that. And the troubles that come into your life, you go, God, why are you allowing this in my life? Just think about the trials and difficulties you faced. And behind it is an all powerful, all knowing God who's allowed it. Why? Because he's developing your character. He is more interested in your character and my character than in our comfort. He is more interested in developing us and making us more like Jesus than he is. But I want to keep you nice and safe. I think about my wife and I stepping out in faith. We have no jobs there yet. You're going, wow, you're crazy. Yeah, in a sense. Yeah. But it's just like when we left, I left seminary and it had no job yet. I left. I came back to this area in an internship and I said, Lord, you have to provide. He opened the door. We believe. It's a step of faith. Says to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The same, same word that's used in Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him, to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. The energy of God, the power of God is at work within us. Unfortunately, a lot of our prayers, and mine included, we're praying for temporal things. Nothing wrong with that. Somebody's health or safety or job or those are not, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you read the prayers of Paul in Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter three, Philippians and Colossians, he is praying for their character. He's praying for them to be more like Christ. Now, that's a scary prayer. And that's what he's saying here at the end of this prayer in chapter three. He says, now to him who's able, because he is at work in you. That is a comforting thing. I look at my life and I go, wow, God, you've been at work in me since I came to faith in Christ as a teenager. My family did not believe. And yet you reached into that home and you brought me to faith in you through my reading of the scriptures that you moved me to do. And someone sent me a gospel track in the mail and I came to faith in Christ and you brought me to this place. Amazing. Romans 12, verse 2, he says this, do not conform, don't be squeezed into the pattern of this world, but be transformed, metamorphosized is the word there, like a caterpillar to a butterfly. God is changing us, making us more like Christ by the renewing of your mind, which is the word of God through scripture. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Notice what he says about God's will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't be afraid of God. He longs to give you what is good, pleasing, and perfect. Trust him. He's worthy of our trust. His will is good and pleasing and perfect. It's good for you. It's pleasing to you, and it's perfect. Fits together. The Bible Knowledge Commentary about this passage, about the working out your salvation, he says, the, the writer of that commentary says this, they were, told, they were told to work out, to put into practice in their daily living what God had worked in them by his spirit. When you came to faith in Christ, God regenerated you, gave you a new birth. 
He sealed you with the Spirit of God. He indwelt you with the Holy Spirit. Many, many, many things. There was a book I had in my library once. It was 33 things that happened to the believer the moment they came to Christ. Given eternal life. All our sins are forgiven. He's saying, live that out. They were not told to work for their salvation, but to work out the salvation God had already given them. Both divine enablement and human responsibility are involved in getting God's work done. Believers are partners with God, laboring together with him. The, word, the verb works means energizes or provides enablement. God makes his own will. His, God makes his own, that's referring to believers, both willing and desirous to do his work. I mean, you're here on a Sunday morning. There's a reason why you want to be here. You want to be in the fellowship of other believers. You want to sing together. You want to worship God. You want to hear his word. It's a desire that God places within us. In what ways do you need to cooperate with God in your sanctification? Now, there's different aspects of sanctification. The word simply means to be set apart. There's the initial sanctification when you come to Christ. You're made perfect in God's eyes. But this question is related to experiential sanctification. How do you need to cooperate? How do I need to cooperate with the work that God is doing in you right now? How do you need to go? You know what? I really need to trust God with that. I really need to get out of the way with regard to that and let God work in me. I really need to stop resisting him with regard to that. So we move on to the next question. You're going, wow, this is going to be a long message. Now that the first part's a lot longer. How do we work out our salvation? Paul is so practical. If you read the Apostle Paul, you'll see. Let, take, take Romans, for example. In Romans chapters 1 to 11, it's heavy on theology. There's some practical elements within there. And then in chapter 12, he says, in view of the mercy of God, which he's referring to a we being lost in sin, being justified through Christ, and then God, the Holy Spirit, working in us to make us more like Christ. He's saying, in view of all that, live, give your life to him. And then 12 through 16 of Romans is all practical, not all, but mostly practical application. And so here in this passage, Paul starts out by saying, hey, this is what you have. Now, this is how you live it out. So hopefully this is where it really gets convicting for all of us, because it was for me. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. This, past, this section right here is just taken from the Old Testament in many different ways. Think about the children of Israel. They were in slavery where? Where were they in slavery? Let's get you involved here a little bit. See if you can, you're awake. Where were they in slavery before God delivered them? Egypt. They were there over 400 years. God raises up Moses, sends them into Egypt through 10 different major miracles. They're basically plagues against the different gods of the Egyptians. He delivers them and sets up an amazing uh, story of redemption. It's a picture of redemption. 
going through the Red Sea was a picture of redemption. They were delivered. That's why it's called the Passover. The angel of death passed over the children of Israel because they took the lamb, the blood of the lamb, and put it on their doorpost. And therefore, the angel of death passed over them because he saw what they had done. But throughout that whole time, they go through the Red Sea. They had saw all these miracles. They get past. They're out of Egypt. And what do they do? They complain. God, we want to go back to Egypt. Slavery? You want to go back to that? It was easier. We had jobs. We had food provided for us. They complained. Now just think about your life, because I had to think about mine as I prepared this. How are you complaining? Look at this. This is Exodus 16. God provides food for them. Now, it's not like they had to actually go out and collect the bread that's called manna. Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning. The, the manna would be there in the morning. They could collect it. The only day they couldn't collect it was what? What day? Anybody? Sabbath. It was Saturday. Why? Because God wanted to teach them. They had a double portion on Friday. Teach them. Take a break. Because he had heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. They were complaining. They didn't have enough. They had bread, but they didn't have enough meat. They didn't have any meat. So God says, okay, fine. I'm going to give you so much meat, it's going to come out your nostrils. That's a literal quote. Sounds like a parent, right? <laughs> oh, you want this? Okay, I'll give you so much, you'll be so sick of it. But he provides. And they continue to complain. What do you complain about? I had to think about this for myself. I had to go, wow, you're really going to teach on this? Yikes. <laughs> think about what you complain about. And by complaining, you're basically saying, God, you're not in control. Because he says right here, this is the other command. Do everything. This is actually a prohibition. Do everything without complaining. When you complain, when I complain, we're basically saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. You let this happen in my life. You gave me this job that I hate. We'll get another job. But stop complaining about it. He's provided. You gave me this spouse. Oh, they're driving me nuts. Well, change then. I doubt it's them. It's probably you. Change. Oh, I hate the weather here. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> but grumbling, complaining, you're basically, I'm basically saying, God, you're not in control. What do you complain about? He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And this, this word was used of taking somebody to court, having a logical, reasonable explanation for your charges against them. And sometimes, and maybe Paul is really referring to the problems within the church of Philippi. There were some disagreements within the church of Philippi. I think people were grumbling against each other. There was also in chapter four, it talks about this, this couple that needed help, well, it's actually two ladies that were fighting, and that's not just ladies that fight within a church. It could be men, et cetera. But they, that was the, 
story. You can read about it in chapter four. And Paul tells another person within the church to help them work through their differences. That's the idea behind this word. But it's also used of you or I trying to argue with people who don't agree with you spiritually or theologically or with scripture. That's not good. In fact, 1 Peter tells us what? Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Always be ready to do what? Give a defense. defense. When though? What does it say? When they ask you, what's the reason for the hope that's in you? Do this and really grind them into the ground. No, it actually says with gentleness, with gentleness and patience toward that person. They, they, I personally, I used to be that person that you're going, really? But now I wait. I say, God, if you want me to talk to them, I will. If you want me to share my faith, I, I want to so bad. But I'm not going to force it on them. He says this to, to Timothy, Paul's understudy. He says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. The same concept here but must be kind to everyone, believers and unbelievers. Able to teach not resentful opponents, opponents to the truth, must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. If you are in a relationship with somebody who is an unbeliever, Go to 1 Peter 3. He says, win them without a word. Because if you preach at them, you leave your Bible open, you know. You put tracks everywhere. I used to do this at home. My family were unbelievers. I'd have stuff everywhere. And my dad finally said to me, he goes, stop. It's not working. <laughs> Basically, chill. And a year later, he came to faith in Christ he had a lot of wisdom for somebody who didn't know Christ. And I fortunately listened to him a little bit. How do we work out our salvation? He says, so that you may become blameless. That means nobody has something they can point a finger at and say, you're messed up here. Well, and pure children of God. The word pure is the idea of something that's not mixed. It was used of someone trying to sell wine and watering it down first. In fact, the Old Testament says that's illegal. It was also used of someone who had pure gold. It wasn't mixed with any foreign elements, any foreign material. And God's telling us not to be mixed in what way? By the world around us that's warped. And crooked. That actually, that phrase is actually used by Moses in the Old Testament in the Pentateuch. It's used by Jesus referring to the people around him. It's used by Paul here, of course, and it's also used by Peter. Just think of the world around us. If you are following the world around you, which I do sometimes, and I, I, I kind of kick myself and I go, what an idiot you are. They don't have the best way to live. God does. Paul is telling us to live like children of God, not like people that follow the world. Second Corinthians, that word purify is used there. He's telling the believers there to not make a relationship with somebody that's going to be unequally yoked. And I believe the context really is talking about 
buying into teaching, buying into ideas that don't fit with the Christian way of life, the Christian worldview. He says, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. In fact, in that passage in 2 Corinthians, he says, come out from them and be separate. If you take that literally, like some churches do, this is the only time you're going to see other people in the world, only with your Christian friends. They believe in different degrees of separation. Stay away from those people. That's not what he's referring to. That wouldn't make any sense then. Jesus said, let your light shine before men. Be salt and light. And there's so many passages where we have to be friends with people who don't know Christ. The idea is don't act like them. Don't believe like them. That creates tension, doesn't it? But it's a healthy tension. Don't be mixed. Don't compromise. Where are you compromising with the world in your thinking? Just think about that. Where are you compromising? Are you compromising with regard to what's important? Values? How do we work our salvation? Then we'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. This is another quote from the Old Testament. Stars for, for the believer. Listen to what Daniel says. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Jesus tells us to let our light shine before men. Here he says, you hold firmly to the word of life. There, there's another translation that says, hold out the word of life. When people see the difference in your life and they want to know why you're different, then you have the opportunity to share with them. That word hold out is like giving someone a drink or giving some, some food to somebody. What are the benefits? The last, the last question. I mean, it's pretty obvious. When you live the way God wants you to live, I have found that my life is better, not easier, better. When I try to do things my way, anxiety, fear, believe me, I have, we have wrestled, my wife and I have wrestled through this decision. We didn't just go, ah, we're going to do it. No, for two years we have prayed about this and thought about it and said, okay, this is going to be a huge step of faith. Our kids are going to, most of our kids are going to be there. Our grandkids will be there. This is important for us to be able to have an impact in their lives. And so we said, okay, Lord, you, we're going to trust you. Paul was telling the Philippians to focus on what God wants. Oh, it would have been a lot easier to stay here. You're an amazing church. And I'm not just saying that. Finish out the passage, he says, then you'll shine like stars, which I already said, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ. I think it was Pastor Anthony who talked about the difference between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord really seems to be a reference to the tribulation through the millennial kingdom, referring to the world being prepared by God for the return of Christ to set up his kingdom. The world was gonna, is going to be prepared for the king, where the day of Christ is when the church is before Christ and judged for our works. Why would Paul say this, though? I'll be able to boast. 
on the day of Christ. Sounds like he's like an egotistical kind of guy. Hey, I led you to Christ. Hey, I'm really this really important Christian. I led you to Christ. I started. No, that's not what he's saying. He uses the same words in, to the Thessalonians. He says this, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Will it not even be you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? You are our glory and joy. Just think about this. Paul is saying, when we all appear before Christ, He's going to be dancing. Paul's going to be going, yes, this is awesome. I, I was used by God to help you come to faith. That's what he's saying. I can glory in that. I can rejoice in that. That should motivate us to want to share our faith, to want to live out our Christian life, not only to please God, but also to have an influence on the people around us. Hebrews says this. With regard to the day of Christ, he says, but though we speak in this manner, we are, we are persuaded of better things for you, things that accompany salvation. What accompanies salvation? Salvation is a completed deal. He's referring to rewards. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and labor of love that you have shown for his name in that you have ministered to the saints and continue ministering to. Salvation is a free gift, as I've said. But what you do afterwards, God will reward you. It says it right here. It says it in 1 Corinthians 4. It says it in 1 Corinthians 3. God wants to give you a reward for the work that you do for his kingdom at the day of Christ. First John 2. And now, now, dear children, he's talking to Christians. Continue in him. So that when he appears, we may, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Think about this. He is saying, abide in Christ. Stay in fellowship with Christ. If Jesus were to return right now, if he were to take us away, would you be ready to meet him? In a humble way, we'd all fall flat on our face. We do face plants, basically, because we're going to be in the presence of Almighty God and and in that sense, yes. But in another sense, are you afraid? You shouldn't be. And maybe there's something that you need to deal with. He says, continue in him so that you're not ashamed. I think of our kids. There are times, one of the kids whose name won't be mentioned, he was about three or four. I just put him to bed. And I said, okay, go to bed. And he was like in this growth spurt. At three or four, I know, that sounds weird, but he was. And all of a sudden, I heard, I was in the family room, which was the lower level, and the kitchen, dining room, and living room were up here, and I heard this noise in the refrigerator. Somebody was rustling around in there, and there was pizza wrapped in foil. This little guy unwrapped it. He was standing at the top of the stairs, looking down at me with the pizza right here, and he's like, Dad, I'm really hungry. <laughs> and if I had said, no, I think he would have taken the pizza back to his bed and ate it. So I'm like, you can have it. But he was so worried that he was going to do something that was going to be against what I had already told him to do. And he didn't want to be ashamed. 
God says, continue in him, stay in fellowship with him. So when he comes back, we're not going to be ashamed. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you staying in fellowship with him? Nobody's perfect. And every time you see the Holy Spirit says, hey, you did this, you shouldn't have. Confess and turn away from it. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, we must all appear. There's no, you don't get a hall pass. You don't go, ah, I'm sick this day. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, which is the day of Christ, which is the day that his church will appear before him. Why? So that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Read 1 Corinthians 3, where it says some will appear there and all their works are burned up because it was wood, hay, and straw. It's gone. They did it for themselves. Those who serve to please Christ, gold, silver, precious stone, he says, whether good or bad, God wants to reward you. Does this motivate you? It motivates me. I go, wow. It's not about pleasing people. It's about pleasing Christ. Work out your salvation. That's the command. That's the theme of that whole passage. You're not working for it. You're working it out. You're living it out. It's like the house we had. We didn't just let it go. We just said, "Ah, no, we did all sorts of renovations. We said, no, we want this to look nice. I can't, I can't think of how, how much work we put into putting in hardwood floors. The whole family participated. We put the floors in and My wife and I sanded those with a big sander, not by hand. That would have been crazy. Real hardwoods and polyurethaned it. But we put our time into it. Are you putting your time into the life that God's given you with his help? Are you living out your salvation to please God? How can you be more grateful? When you start complaining, and this is what I do, I start thanking God. When the Holy Spirit starts convicting me, like, uh, this is what I've given you. If you, were to, if you were brought to court as a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? That's always disturbed me because it's like, are we living out the faith that God has given us? Do people around us go, oh yeah, that's, that's one of those Christians. And if it's not in a way that like, oh, they're weird. No, it's like, wow, they do believe what they really, they live out what they believe. They really believe it because they're living it out. Let's pray together. Father, the salvation is really your work. We did not earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't keep it. You keep us. And yet you made it very clear that we are to live it out, to work it out that you provide the power, you provide the energy, that you in your living in the believer through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live this life that you want us to live. Lord, help us not only as individuals, but as a church to truly live out the life that you've given us, to be a light to people around us, that more would go, I want that. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at vintagefaithcicero.com.